today. Today is our special bring your friend to church day. And, and so things are going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to share a little story, preach a little different than what I usually do uh, today. But I want to start it off uh, by reading a, uh, a, a story from the Bible. It's found in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I really like this story. It says this, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind. But soon a fierce storm came up. Everyone say storm. Come on, even in the back, say storm. Soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Someone is not following me as fast as they should, and I don't know what the next verse is. Jesus was sleeping. That's the wrong verse. Keep with me. Jesus was sleeping at the back, just like our media team of the boat, with his head on a cushion. I hope they have a cushion up there as well. And the disciples woke him, and this is what they did. They woke him, and they shouted, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Because that's how, you know, that's how Jesus talks, right? It's Jesus. And suddenly, I love that word, suddenly. How many of y'all have ever experienced a suddenly in your life, right? Suddenly, the Bible tells us that the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and the waves obey him. I, uh, I was born in the Philippines in 1984. I have two white parents, and, uh, and it was an interesting upbringing. Uh, until the age of about four and a half, five years old, uh, I thought that I was brown. Uh, I didn't realize I was white. When I found out I was white, I was devastated. I thought I'm never going to be able to dance properly. I'm not going to sing well. I'll never be able to dunk a basketball. And, uh, and I used to have a little Filipino accent. Hello, po. How are you today? I'm fine. It's very, very nice to be here, Pa. Which, oddly enough, is exactly how my son sounds now. <laughs> I grew up in the Philippines, and, uh, and I went to an American international school. I have an American accent. But my dad is from Australia, and my mom is from New Zealander. I have an American accent, born in the Philippines, thinking that I'm brown. Today, I want to talk about your identity and how screwed up you are. I, no, I'm not. But I didn't know where I was from. The most comfortable place I felt growing up in my life was in an airport. That's where I felt the most comfortable. That lady would come on flight 432. I'm like, Mom, is that you? I felt the most comfortable in an airport. I grew up in the Philippines. But here's one of the things that I learned about growing up in the Philippines. You know what we have in the Philippines that, that we do as good as anywhere else in the world? You know what we have? We have typhoons. Right? We do typhoons. Can you imagine how great it is for a child to wake up and realize that school is not happening today. Really? Not because there's a typhoon, but there's the chance of a typhoon. So we're going to call school off all day. Screw the parents. They can just look after the kids. They don't have to go to work that day. Right? So I grew up with all these storms and all these typhoons. And, and I mean, we do typhoons so well here in the Philippines, we grade them, Right? We give them the level of what typhoon it is. And so growing up, I learned, I learned a lot about storms. I think this is, a, this is the biggest lesson I've learned about storms and about typhoons is this, is that to the best of your ability, you can make yourself as safe as possible as you want, right? Now with all the technology, we know when storms are coming. We know when they're going to happen. We give the storm warning. We can, to the best of our ability, make ourselves as safe as possible. We can board up the house. We can get in the doorpost. We can hide in the bathtub. However you do it, we can, to the best of our ability, make ourselves as safe as we want. But the reality is, no matter how safe we are, that storm is still going to hit. It doesn't matter where you are, how safe you are, that storm is still coming, and it's still going to hit. I want to tell you a love story. Can I tell you a love story? I love love. Ooh, 
I love, love, love. This is a love story that happened a long, long time ago to me. I was a young man, and I had, a, uh, I had this friendship relationship with this young woman that lasted, it probably, we've been friends for many, many years, but it kind of lasted two and a half years, and, and, and by the end of it, I was just, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but, but, but it kind of ended, and I was done. I was like, God, I am done. I'm done with women. Like I'm, I, like, I'm going, to, no, I'm not like done, done with women. I'm just saying, like, I'm not going, you know, I'm, I'm just done with women. And, and I'm like, God, I'm, I'm going to the, 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 the province, to the forest. Uh, in Australia, we call it the bush. I'm going to the bush. And it's just going to be me and you, God. Mano, oh, mano. I'm not going to shave. I'm not going to bath or shower. It's just going to be mental because I'm done. I can't handle estrogen. I'm out, God. I can't handle women. I'm done. I'm finished with women. It's over. So that lasted about two weeks. And... Um, I went to, to college, to university, and I went to a Christian university. There's was, there was like one or two in the whole of Australia, right? So I'm in one, and the first day of college that day, I get up and I'm leading worship. I used to lead worship with an acoustic guitar. I had long blonde hair that would come like a surfy. It would come down my, and as I would lead worship, the hair would fall down my face, and in the middle, I'd be like, Jesus, it's like a rock star throwing it out of my face, and I'm leading worship, and it's, and it's good. You know, I brought people into the throne room of God. Angels were flying around, gold dust everywhere that day. And, uh, you know, and, and so I went, and I sat down, and I sat down next to my friend Dean. And you got to understand something about Dean, right? Dean is the most Australian man I have ever met in my life. This guy used to talk like this. G'day, mate. My name's Dean. How are you? That's so Australian, half you don't even know the words I just said. <laughs> he used to come to school with chanelas on, with green uh, board shorts faded with holes in them. He would come with like a singlet with holes stained on it. He was missing teeth, a receding hairline. He'd be like, G'day, mate, how you going? Right? So I sit down next to Dean. Dino, we used to call him, and he goes, Oi, dude, check out that bed. And I'm like, What? What? He's like, check out that bed. And I'm like, is there a bird flying around the room? Why? He goes, no, nah, no, nah, check out that bed. And we, and we stopped and we look and in front. Actually, it was in front and to the right. There was a girl. Evidently, he called girls birds. And this girl was beautiful. I'm talking like not paying attention for the rest of the service type of beautiful, right? She was gorgeous, and we sat there. And this is what you got to do, right? When you're in a Christian environment, right? You're sitting there, and instantly what you got to do is you got to look for the wedding ring, right? You got to look, is there a wedding ring there? Because, you know, some Christians, they get married at 17, right? And so you got to look for the wedding ring. And as we were looking, we saw this little ring around her finger. My friend Dean, the, the principal is talking, the dean of the school is talking, and Dean sits there and goes, oh, no, that loud. Oh, no, right? I'm like, shut up. People look around, I'm like, shut up. I said, ye of little faith, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> For even though I see a ring, I see no rock. <laughs> and so either that's a purity ring, cha-ching, or the rock is so small, that guy's so cheap, I could get her anyway. <laughs> so... I don't remember what happened the rest of the service because I was enamored by this woman at the end of the service. She stood up and she walked through the aisle. My friend Dean and I just casually looked at her. She walked, she walked to the end of the aisle. She turned, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit because there was not a window open in the room. Someone cried out her name, and she turned around. She said, yes, and then she said, yes. The wind began to blow through her hair. I don't know where the wind came from. It was the Holy Spirit. Wind began to blow, and I sat with Dean. I said, yes, and she began to walk out in slow motion, and I said to Dean, I said, Dean, I'm going to marry that girl. And he goes, huh? all right, good luck. <laughs> and so for the next three months, um, I don't know how you would describe it. I, uh, I began to, uh, it's kind of, I'm not, uh, I, I stalked her. 
I don't like to look at it as stalking because that's what weirdos do. I like to look at it as uh, really doing research. <laughs> doing proper research in order for me to gather enough information to know whether this is gonna be a godly relationship with Christ at the center of this or not. And so I began to do research, right? So I'm finding out where, I'm like looking at what classes she has at what time. I'm like behind trees, like, all right, she's going here at this time. What's up, girl? Like, I'm, I'm trying to see her interaction with her friends. I'm watching who she, her, fr her friends. I became friends with her friends. Young men become friends with the friends. You know why? Because girls always talk. And they talked to her. So I became friends with her friends. And I found out her list. <gasps> do you know what a list is? A list is everything you want in a partner that you do not have yet. <laughs> I became a Christian when I was about 17, 18 years old. I was reading my Bible one night. I read this little chapter called Proverbs 31. If you've never read your Bible, stay away from this chapter. <sighs> And it tells about this perfect woman in the Bible. And so at the end, at about 11.30 at night, I wrote my list about what type of woman I wanted to marry because Proverbs 31 inspired me. So my list was like, number one, she must love Jesus. You know, spiritual, I've got to be that number one, right? Must love Jesus. Number two, she must be hot. Please, Jesus. Number three, she... God, I'm okay with the first two. That's all I... I'm a simple man, Jesus, right? That was my list, right? So I found out what her list was. It's always good to find out someone's list because then you know if you're, if you're in the game or not, right? So I found out her list. The first thing that she had was, you know, he must love Jesus. <laughs> Done deal, right? Second thing on her list was, you know, he, he must love children. <laughs> <laughs> Got that down. The third thing on our list. He must love animals. Yeah. I said, girl, I don't love animals. I am one. <laughs> so after doing research to really build a long-term Christian foundation in our relationship with Jesus Christ at the Lord, uh, at the center of our relationship, I did what every confident, young, red-blooded man does when he wants something. I, I got her email and I wrote her an email. and. I <laughs> I'm like, hey, what's up, girl? I seen you around. I really seen you around. And uh, hey, do you want to have lunch? And she's like, yeah, let's have lunch. And so we went out. We had lunch. And, and so we had lunch, and we're talking. And, um, and then we went for a walk around this mall. And then we went out, and we sat on a bench, actually, kind of like this one. We sat on a bench, and I sat there. Now, you got to understand something about me. I, generally, I'm a, pretty, I'm a pretty confident guy in my life. Generally, right? There's a few times I get nervous, but generally, I'm pretty confident. Uh, in this moment, every ounce of confidence that has ever been stored up in my life completely left in this moment. And for 40 minutes, I sat with her right here beside me. I sat and I made noises that no grown man should ever make in front of a woman. As with fear and trepidation, I tried to tell her how I felt. For 40 minutes, I was like, well, I just, mm, I, mm. I sounded like a constipated horse. I'm like, I just, I just, well, I, um, uh, uh. you know, this was the days as well before social media and you could just ride it and not be a real person. So after 40 minutes of humming and eyeing, like legit, she said nothing, sat there for 40 minutes, cold, poker face. She would have been a great poker player, right? She just sat there. Poker faith gave me nothing. Finally, I said, I just, I, I, I love the way that you love Jesus. <laughs> said, I, you know, I've, I've noticed that, you know, you, you've got a real sweet spirit and, and uh, 
and, and I really like you, and I'd love to see if, if this could actually go somewhere, right? And she, she's there, and she looks at me, and she goes, I feel the same way too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Puts her head down, doesn't say anything else. I sat there, I looked at her, I looked up. I was in shock. In my head, all I could think to myself was, James, you are the man. <laughs> you gotta understand something about this girl. This girl was like, like pure, like, like blood of Jesus, white as snow, pure, right? Uh, she had never held a man's hand before other than her father's. I know this because I read it in her diary uh, later on. <laughs> in, in, in fact, in fact, the first day of college in the middle of uh, the worship time, uh, she looked up and in her diary she wrote that she saw this guy that was leading worship with blonde hair and there's this kind of thing around him where everything else kind of faded away and she looked and said, there's something different about that guy and she wrote, Lord, if he's the one I'm gonna marry, could you please give me an opportunity to get to know him? And so for the next three months, she stalked me. What a weirdo, right? Who would do that? <laughs> so we began to date, get to know each other. After about seven months, I'm like, man, this, this girl, this, this girl's it. I gotta, I gotta marry her. So I was supposed to meet her on a Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. I lived in a city called Brisbane where our church is right now, favorite church in Brisbane, and she lived about an hour south in a city called the Gold Coast, beautiful on the beach. She grew up as a, a surfer, beach girl, and... And so at 2 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, we were gonna meet. I was gonna come to her house, pick her up, and we were gonna hang out. And so 2 p.m. came, and the door knocked, because I was on time, because men be on time. It shows a lady that you care about her time, be on time. And, uh, and so I, I, the door knocked, she opened the door. Instead of you know, expecting to find me, uh, she, she found one of my youth leaders there, standing in a suit, a tie, with a long stem, red rose, gave her the rose, and on the rose was a poem that had been written, something like, you know, you're beautiful, da, da, da. I, honestly, it was the best poem that's ever been written, uh, and this little poem, and after she read it, she looked up at him, and, and he gave her a, a, little, a little note, and the note said, the first place you and James ever had dinner, go there. He looked at her and said, James loves you very much, and then he ran away. That was it. I know this, because I was in the bushes watching. She gets in her car, drives down to the first place that we'd ever had dinner expecting to find me. Instead, found another one of my youth leader boys there, dressed up in a suit, in a tie, long stem red rose, gave it to her. The poem continued and then handed her a clue. And the clue was the first place you and James ever played mini golf together, go there. And he looked at her and said, James loves you very much. And then he ran away. This happened uh, 10 different times down the Gold Coast until the 11th time uh, we came to a place called uh, Durambar. Durambar. I said it Tagalog. It's not. It's Duramba. How you say it in Australia? But in the Philippines, we go Duramba. Uh, Durambar, which actually means point danger. What a great place to get engaged at point danger, right? And so she turns up there and I'm at this point overlooking the entire ocean, this big cliff, and I'm there waiting. All my boys are up the top, they're watching. She walks towards me, I'm getting real nervous, you know? You know, my palms were sweaty, my knees were heavy, I, you know? I just ate my mom's spaghetti. And, uh, and, and so, so she comes towards me, and, and I give her the 11th rose, right? And, and, and the poem finished off. And then at the end of the poem, it said, will you dot, dot, dot. She looked up, she, she looked at me, and I got on my knee, and I said, marry me. And she's like, yes. I'm like, yes. And I got up and, you know, we kissed and, and hugged. And it was amazing. And I was expecting, you know, tears to just flow. Because, you know, that's what girls do. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and there was no tears. <laughs> None. No tears. I'm like, come on, just even a fake one. Can you just, I just did this 11 different times. I almost got the rose and pricked her with the rose just to get some tears I want some emotion in this, and so, you know, but that's fine, whatever, that's cool, whatever. I guess everyone gets engaged like this these days, right? And so we walked up to her car, and, and you know, I, and so I blindfolded her, and I put her in the car, and um, <laughs> that sounded different in my head. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to cry, get in the car, right? No, no, I didn't. 
but, but I did actually blindfold her. I put her in the car, and, and we drove around. She had no idea where we were, and we turned up to her church. She had a big church building that she was a part of, and I got a grand piano, and I put the grand piano right in the middle of the stage, had it up, had candles all over the grand piano, right? Some of y'all people that just got engaged recently, you're hating me right now, men, but that's okay. Lift your game, boys. And so we had candles all around the grand piano and, and, and candles all over and flowers, and then the 12th rose laid out across the ivory keys, right? So we came, we sat down, and I sat her down at the bench on the piano, and I sat her right here, and everything. She has no idea where she is, completely blacked out. And I got the, uh, the, the, the little blindfold, and as I took it off, I just went, I love you, <laughs> right? So dramatic. And she, she goes, she kind of opened her eyes, kind of looked, looked down, looked at me, looked down and went, and began to cry, and I'm like, yes, cry me a river, <laughs> right, so she's crying, right, like ugly cry, it was amazing, this is this terrible ugly cry, and, uh, and, and then I sang her a song that I wrote her, and, uh, and it was, oh my God, <laughs> Sang her a song I wrote, and it was amazing. We were engaged about 12 months because we lived in different cities, and she had to finish college, and we got married. It was wonderful. Went on our honeymoon, came back, did a youth camp together. It was just, it was just cool. It was, a, it was a wonderful, wonderful marriage. And uh, it was about nine weeks and two days into our marriage, nine weeks, two days in. And, uh, and we went out to celebrate a, a birthday party of one of the girls in our youth group, and and we came back that night, and, and uh, we went to bed, and, and, and I couldn't really sleep. I was watching uh, Rocky, uh, the movie, Rocky II. Adrian! Right? Like, I'm sitting there watching Rocky. I couldn't really sleep. And about 2 a.m., I get out, out, out of my bed. And the, this day is Sunday morning, so I know i got to get up for church. i got a, a long day of church ahead. But I get up about 2 a.m., go on my balcony, just start praying, praying for our life, our future, our future children, our ministry, our church, our youth kids that were in our youth group. And, and I got back into bed about 2.30, and she kind of rustled and looked at me, and I looked at her, and I, I gave her a kiss, and I said, love you, baby. She goes, I love you too. And, and then we went to sleep. It was about, about three hours later, about 5.30, and uh, I woke up to this really strange sound. It was kind of this really uh, heavy breathing that I heard next to me. It was like... <sighs> like that, I woke up, I looked over, and I immediately knew something was wrong. Uh, my wife, her eyes were kind of rolled in the back of her head, her, her lips were kind of blue, and she was breathing really weird, and so I kind of woke up real quickly. I'm not a great morning person, but I woke up, and I'm like, hey, hey, wake up, wake up. I began to shake her, and nothing happened at all. I, I then really began to say, I'm like, hey, hey, stop, stop playing. Wake up, wake up, and her body just kind of flapped around on the bed, no response whatsoever. I then began to really cry. I'm like, hey, wait, God, God, would you wake God, please? Wake her up, God. And, and, and no, nothing happened. I, I didn't really know what to do. I, I grabbed my phone and I, and, and I called uh, our, our ambulance in Australia. We've got a really good ambulance system. And I called them. I said, hey, uh, my wife, uh, she's unresponsive. Her eyes are in the back of her head. She's breathing really weird. The breaths are getting farther and farther apart between each one. And the lady on the other end of the line, she goes, okay, we can send an ambulance there. They'll be there in 15 minutes. Uh, this is about 5.45 a.m. She goes, but you need to begin to give her CPR. And so I, I, I sat there and I began to give my 20-year-old wife, who nothing had ever been wrong with her physically, began to give her CPR, wondering what was going on. Began to give her CPR and had to keep doing it until the ambulance guys, the paramedics came. They came, they grabbed her, they ripped her off the bed. I'll never forget it. They ripped her off and they grabbed a, a, a defibrillator. They brought it in, they put it on her, and they, they gave her the shock straight away. Nothing happened, no response. They, they grabbed it. I remember seeing the voltage of it just turn it up, literally halfway up. And they give it again, the shocks, nothing happened. We grab her, we put her in the back of the ambulance, we race towards the hospital. On the way, we stopped again just to shock it one more time. I was in the front with the driver. We got to the hospital. By this point, my parents had come to meet us there, and they rushed her off into the emergency room, and they, they put us, and they took us aside into this little waiting room. And I'll never forget this moment that this little nurse came in. She was actually a little Filipino nurse, would you believe? 
came in and she said, uh, open the door. We were the only ones in the room. She said, Mr. Ayton, I'm so sorry, but your wife has died. You want to talk about being in a storm where you have no control over what's happening. A storm where you have no control over the situation, feeling like you are being battered to the left and to the right and not even fully understanding why it's happened. That, that was my storm. I didn't know why. A few hours later, literally three hours later from the hospital, I was in my bedroom. My dad was with me, and two detectives are in my bedroom searching through my stuff, trying to work out why this girl has just died, and I had no idea why. No idea why. Have you ever had something happen to you and you, you have no idea why it happened? Like, have you ever even gone to the point where you're like, God, how, come, how could you let this happen if you love me? How could you let this happen? I didn't know why it had happened. In fact, to this day, I still don't know why. The, there was an autopsy done on her. It was a 24-hour autopsy. They found no medical reason why she died. Uh, the coroner called me up and asked my permission if they could remove her heart and her brain so that they could do further study on it for seven months. They studied her heart and her brain. At the end of seven months, they gave me this big uh, a printout of all the tests that they'd done on her, and at the very end, it said, we still have no medical reason why she died. I, I don't know why she died. And that can be tough to comprehend sometimes when things happen in your life and you don't understand why, especially, especially when we serve Jesus, right? Like, at the time, I was a youth pastor. Like, I was paying my tithes. <laughs> I was a youth pastor. I had given up an, an incredible opportunity to be a male model. <laughs> Some of you don't know if you're allowed to laugh at this point of the story or not. But you shouldn't laugh because it's true. I don't know why. I don't know why it had happened, but it happened. You know, the story I read out at the beginning, it's a story of these disciples that were in the middle of the storm and they were scared, right? They're scared. And I've heard preachers preach this story, and rightfully so. They, they get on what Jesus said, where Jesus is like, yo, why don't you have any faith? You've been walking with me. You've been seeing miracles. You know that there's power in what I do, and these disciples are scared out of their minds. So I've heard preachers preach about that. You need more faith. You need to understand Jesus there. And I hear that, and, and those are all really good sermons, and they're, they're all correct. But after I went through what I went through, I look at that story completely different. This is how I look at it. That in the midst of the storm where the disciples were so scared, they had no idea what to do. The very first thing they did was they went to Jesus. They went to Jesus. And Jesus calmed the storm. So many times we can get caught up in things that happen. We don't understand. We don't understand why it happens. But God seems to just have a plan. We may not fully understand that plan, but he has a plan. In the book of Philippians, in the Bible, there's a scripture in chapter four, verse six. I love this. It's one of my favorite life scriptures that I love. I love to preach it. I love to pray it over people. It says this, don't worry about anything. <laughs> well, that's easy. Don't worry about anything, right? How many of y'all know that sometimes it's a lot harder to live out the simple statements of the Bible, right? Don't get me wrong. When I read that, it's like, yes, the Bible says it, but man, that's hard to live out. Is there anybody else here that thinks that it's hard to live out? Don't worry about anything. Come on, lift your hands so I know who I'm talking to, right? Right? It's hard. The Bible says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then, and this is so beautiful, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The writer of this letter is telling people that, hey, don't worry, don't be anxious. Instead, anything that you're worried about, come to God, 
bring it to God, and then you're going to experience this peace. It's so incredible, this peace, that you won't be able to fully comprehend it with your mind. You're not going to be able to fully explain it. You're not going to be able to fully tell what other, to other people exactly what it is, but it's going to be a peace that doesn't just come on you, but it's going to begin to guard your heart and guard your mind against storms and situations that happen. And this is exactly what happened to me. The night that my wife passed away, my sister had to go down to church for something. It was a Sunday of all days that this could happen. She had to go down to church to pick up something. My best friend had flown from a different part of Australia up. As soon as he heard, he jumped on a plane, came up to be with me, and it would have been about 12, 13 hours later and that night, and, and I was, uh, the shock of what happened was beginning to wear off a little bit, right? Like it was beginning to wear off. And, it, and as the shock was wearing off, my, my questions were like, well, why? Why, God, why? We ended up going to church and my sister went over to our, our office building because she needed to grab something from the office and I went into the, the small auditorium at the time. My friend is, is actually a, a world-class drummer. He went and jumped on the drums and, and there was a piano there and I, I love this piano. I used to play it all the time. And so I went and I stood behind the piano and, and I just began to play. I was not expecting anything. And in that moment, as I began to play the piano, I felt the manifest presence of God fall on me. Now, now listen to me. This is where things can get a little bit crazy, but I got to explain this to you, right? God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. The world would cease to exist if God was not in every molecule and every atom in the world. The world is held together by the very presence of God. But there's moments not in lifetimes, but in days. There's moments in every day where God just seems to show up and you it's like you know when your friend has walked in the room. It's like, oh, God is here. Now, he's always been here, but there's this extra sense of, oh, wow, he's here and I feel him here. It, it happens every Sunday when we worship. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you are here for the very first time today and you walked in and you've been crying throughout the service and you have no idea why you're crying. You feel something. You don't don't know what it is it's the manifest presence of God so as I begin to play the piano I just feel this thing just come on me and I just begin to weep and cry weep and cry and in that moment I had a vision right <laughs> you got to understand something like visions I thought visions were only for the real crazy spiritual wacky people y'all know what I'm saying I've never had a vision before I've never had it since. I'm talking about, you know, the people that are like, how's your day today? They're like, wonderful. The spirit of God brought me to church today on his wings. He's like, no, you caught a jeepney. I saw you. It was a jeepney, right? You know those people? So I thought, oh man, visions are just for the weird people until I had one. And I'm there at this piano. And all of a sudden in this moment, I feel taken out of my body and I'm, and I'm standing on this long brick road I'm weeping at that time and this brick road and, and at the end over here at this section I, I walk over and I see there's this room and in this room there's this little creature like thing curled up in a ball and this creature's just there and, he, and it's curled up and, and as I looked upon it I felt sick as I looked at it I, I don't know if you've ever looked at something and you can see what's on it whether it's a person a building or something but as I looked at it I could see there was anger on this thing bitterness, depression, drug addiction, victim, blaming everybody else, blaming God, walking away from God. And I remember being disgusted. Even now as I say this, I can vividly remember the feeling of disgust as I looked at it. And this thing kind of shuddered a little bit and, and it looked straight back up and it caught my eye and I looked at it and I began to weep because I saw that it was me. And I began to weep and cry. I remember saying, God, I don't want to be like that. Please don't let me be like that thing. I don't want to be like that. And remember in that moment, I was almost transported down to the end of this road, to the other side of this road. And I saw this picture of wheat, almost like the end of that scene in Gladiator for those old enough where the, the wheat's this there. And I remember seeing this wheat kind of going back and forth, and I saw myself standing in the middle, dressed in white, with my hands raised, worshiping. And I said, God, please, 
I want to be that. I don't know how. I, I don't fully understand, but I, want to, I don't want to be that. I want to be that. I want to be that. Please, God, let me be that. And in that moment, I almost felt like I came back into myself, and I'm standing at this piano, and I'm weeping and crying. My friend is off the drums. He's praying for me. We're sitting there, and in that moment, this sermon came to my heart that I had heard a few years earlier. It was a sermon on a sacrifice of praise. And the sermon had basically taught me years earlier that it's easy to praise God when everything's going good. It doesn't take a sacrifice to praise. When a sacrifice costs you something. That's the whole point of a sacrifice. It costs you something. But when things are going good, when you just got the job promotion, when you just got the new girlfriend, when you just got, when you just got, when you just got, it's like, thank you, God. Oop, to God be the glory, right? It's easy to throw it up. But how about when your wife just died in your arms and you have no idea why. In that moment, I felt the Lord pull me into this sacrifice of praise and I began to just praise God and say, God, I don't understand, but I love you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that she is in heaven right now celebrating with Jesus. Thank you that I had at least nine weeks with her. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Thank you that you're going to heal me. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit begin to speak to me. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God ever in my life, but I, but I felt him the loudest ever speaking. It's when you get a sense that he's speaking into your spirit and in that moment I felt God say to me I will be your comfort I will be your strength just over and over I'll be your comfort I'll be your strength I'll be your comfort I'll be and I began to weep and cry and just begin to pray God you'll be my comfort you'll be my strength you'll be my comfort you'll be my strength something happened to me that night it was like steel the way I describe it it's like steel went in my backbone something happened now listen to me listen to me the next three and a half months were hell it's terrible i would have moments of laughter and then i would have moments of deep dark depression you know what was the worst anyone here that's lost a spouse you'll know what i mean when i say this the worst the worst moments in those three and a half months the next three and a half months was every time that i would go to bed at night by myself and I would put my hand over and there was no one there. The pain of that was, was deep. Somehow in the middle of all that pain, somehow in the middle of all that pain, as I began to pray and let my worry and my anxiety begin to drop and let my prayer to God begin to come. There's this verse in the book of Romans that people misquote all the time. And it's a simple verse, and it says, God will turn all things for good for those that love him, right? People misquote it all the time because they think that it means that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be good, right? So it's like, follow Jesus, everything's going to be good. And the reason why it's such a terribly misquoted verse is that because people want that. They want to follow Jesus, and they want everything to be perfect. And the moment a storm hits that we can't control, we turn around and go, God, how come you did this? How come you let this happen, right? We, we almost blame God. No, no, the verse, the verse means this, that God will take anything that happens, good or bad. Let's talk about the bad. God will take anything bad that happens, and if you love him, somehow God will turn it for good. There are many people in here that have walked through storms. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now, and it may not have been the loss of a spouse. It may be business issues, relationship issues. It doesn't matter how big or how small your storm is. Your storm is your storm. But God wants you to know today that he wants to give you a peace, a peace that you won't even be able to fully comprehend. People would look at me and go, how come your, how come it's, and I go, I, it's, just, it's the grace of God. Three and a half months later, after it happened, I, um, I was really feeling like, God, I, I really want to move on. I was 22 years old, married nine weeks. That's, that's crazy. I'm like, God, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be the guy who lost his wife forever. Like, people would walk up to me. I wish I could exaggerate to you how stupid people were to me. People just say dumb things because half the time they don't know what to say. Can I encourage you, just a little side note, if someone loses someone, if you don't have anything good to say, just keep your mouth shut. Just tell them you love them and you're praying for them. People would say things all the time to me that were just dumb. 
I'd be talking with them about something, mid-conversation, they'd go, wait, are you that guy who lost his wife? And I'm like, that's me. Thank you for reminding me again, right? So after about three and a half months, I'm like, God, I'm done. Like, I want, I need you to heal me. I want you, I need to move on. Lord God, I've been praying. I'm like, God, heal my heart. I want to move on. And for about a week, I felt like I was good. Felt like I was, you know, I was youth pastoring. I'd gone from being a single youth pastor to a married youth pastor and then back to a single youth pastor. It was tough. I'm like, God, I really, I really want to move on. And um, we had this conference, a big church conference for uh, the, the denomination that we're a part of in Australia. And it was on the Gold Coast, right? Where she lived and where we spent a lot of our time. And we drove down to the Gold Coast and, and I, I, I'm thinking I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm good. And, and I drive up and, and all of a sudden I see the first place we had dinner. I see the first place we played mini golf. I see where we would walk on the beach and, and all these emotions and feelings and memories came back and it, and it hit me. It hit me like a, a punch to the face. And I remember going, God, why? I, I felt like I was doing, okay, why? That day I was actually at the conference and I was talking to a, a great man uh, called Ron Damon. I call him Uncle Ron. He used to come and visit us in the Philippines and bring me Australian chocolate all the time. This man's story makes, makes my story look like nothing. He, he was married. Uh, in his late 30s with five children and his wife just suddenly dropped dead, right? Incredible story, loved Jesus. He was a pastor for years, had remarried this beautiful woman, Aunt Joan. And uh, so I'm talking with Uncle Ron. He's like, how you doing, James? I go, honestly, I was good up until about six hours ago when we drove in the Gold Coast and then now this and that and everything. And he just smiled and he goes, James, he goes, you're doing okay all those are are memories that's it he goes when you're when you're married and you have grandchildren in 50 years you're going to hear a song and it's going to take you right back to a moment that's okay that doesn't mean you haven't healed that just means that you have a memory and memories are okay isn't it amazing when you talk to someone that's gone through something they, they almost have an authority to speak and when he said that i it's almost like I felt this freedom, like, yeah, that's okay. I can have memories and I can still heal. That night after the service, I drove down to a place. I took my car. I was really seeking God all week. I drove down to this place called Burley Point. It's this beautiful point that juts out from the shoreline on the Gold Coast. And you can kind of see all the way up the Gold Coast. It's wonderful. And this is where me and my first wife would spend a lot of our time on uh, Saturday afternoons watching the surfers. and. And so I went there and I, and I sat. In fact, I sat on a bench, kind of like this one. I remember I sat down and it was this beautiful night and, and I'm just there and I'm kind of in my own world. And, and I sort of look over to the right and over on the right, I see a couple that are, that are lying down on, on the grass making out. Like, I mean, they were, they were trying to make a baby that night. That's all I can say. Like it was, I'm like, okay, well, all right, God bless. And then I look over to the left, and there's a dude smoking a joint right there, just sitting there, and then me, the widower, in the middle, right? So I'm sitting there, and, uh, and great place to have a prayer meeting, isn't it? And I'm sitting there, and I never really ever used to talk to, to my first wife, because I'm like, well, she's, she's dead, you know? Like some people are like, oh, they're, they're looking down from heaven, and they're smiling on you. No, they're not. They're enamored by Jesus. If you think they're looking down on you, you don't understand how incredible Jesus is. I'm sorry, that might have been a revelation for someone. If you think that you get to heaven and you still wanna look down, you don't know what you're looking up to. Enamored by Jesus. So I'm in that moment and I looked up to heaven. I never really spoke to her, but I said this one thing. I just said, listen, I love you. Peace of my heart will always love you, but I need to let you go. I said, God, would you please heal me? And I closed my eyes and I began to pray and I began to speak in, in something that we call tongues. In the Bible, it, it's, it's found all throughout the New Testament. It's nothing weird. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, God will begin to give you a heavenly language and you begin to speak in tongues. It's good. If you want to know more about that, come and see our team after us. We'll talk about it, but I'm there. And I just began to pray, and I began to pray, and it felt, it felt like five minutes. It was an hour. 
out. I mean, I would have loved, I, I've always wished that someone would have taken a video of this from behind because they would have seen the people attempting pregnancy on the right. They would have seen the guy getting high on the left and the Christian in the middle going, Amazing moment. At the end of an hour, I kind of opened my eyes and, and I stood up and, I, and I, I never forget this feeling. I stood up and it was like I was standing up as a new person. I got in my car, I drove back to our hotel room, I opened the door of our hotel room, I walked, my sister was just walking by, my elder sister, she stopped and she looked and she pointed at me, she goes, what happened to you? And I said, I, I've been healed. And she goes, okay. And I said, okay. In that moment, God had, like black to white, just healed me. In that moment, can I explain it to you? No, I can't. Can I tell you the seven-step process? No, I can't. Does that happen to everyone? No, it doesn't. But for me, at that point in my life, at that time, after three and a half months of intense grief and pain, I stood up and God had healed me black to white and I felt like a new person. I don't understand everything, but I know God healed me and I knew I had a peace, a peace, a peace from God. And I sit here today, literally 16 years later next week. And in that time, God healed my heart. He blessed me in a way you can't even imagine by letting me meet Kate, who brought so much joy into my life. And God gave her so much grace that for the last 16 years, she's heard me stand on stage and preach about another woman. Yet God has given her such grace that she knows that this story actually points directly to Jesus. And she has given me three of the most incredible children. And God somehow, I'm telling you, God somehow turned something that was disastrous where I could have ended up like that thing. I could have gone off the deep end. I could have gone back into the things I used to do as a teenager, but it would have been a lot worse. I, I could have gone down the wide road and gone and partied with the devil. I could have done all those things out of hurt and pain and out of feeling like a victim. But by the grace of God, I reached out to Jesus and he somehow turned it around for good. So 16 years later, I get to stand before you and I get to say this, Jesus saved my life. Jesus saved my life. Jesus saved my life. Oh, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is forgiveness in the name of Jesus. There is mercy. There is grace in the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's why we sang that song. We shout Jesus. Why? I'm not here because I saw a psychologist. They're good. I'm here because I encountered Jesus. He's better. Yeah, some of y'all need to go to a psychologist. Please do it. But my life didn't change because of a psychologist. It changed because of an encounter with God. I didn't understand everything, but I knew God was real. I knew God was real. Today, you might be here. You might be watching. Maybe you've never come to a point where you've wanted to accept Jesus in your heart. You know, in just a moment, that's how we're going to finish the service. I'm going to tell you how we're going to do this. At the end of this service, we're going to pray for everybody that's going through storms. We're going to open up the altar, and you get to come down. We've got our prayer team, our pastors that want to pray for you because there's people that are going through storms. Your storm may be you just lost someone, or it may be you're struggling with your exams at school. It doesn't matter. Your storm is your storm. Maybe there's people here today that you've never ever come to a point where you've realized that Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Where Jesus so wonderfully, and I'm so thankful that he did, chose to leave the comforts of heaven and to come down to earth to live a sinless, perfect life. And he was falsely accused. He was hung up on a cross, beaten, 
and bruised. And the Bible explains to us that as he was hung upon that cross, the sins that you and I have committed, the sins are everything that we've done, either in action or in thought, that is outside of the boundaries of how God would want us to live. And when he was on that cross, Jesus took all the sin, the weight of every sin that people have committed in the past, the present, and in the future. Everything that you've done before today, today, and everything you'll do in the future, Jesus took it upon himself in that moment he died but our God is so powerful that he didn't stay dead he defeated the grave he defeated Satan he rose victorious and through his death and resurrection here's the here's the the good news we call it the gospel it's the good news here's the good news through his death and his resurrection he's now given us a way to come to God The Apostle Paul, who I've quoted a few times today, wrote so much of the New Testament. He writes in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your heart and believe in your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You know what that means? It means that we believe that he lived a sinless life. We believe that he went to the cross, that he died. We believe that he was resurrected. We believe that he is who others claimed him to be and who he affirmed that he is the Son of God, the only true Son of God you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is all those things that he is lord then you will be saved maybe you hear you've never done this before maybe you hear you did this a long long time ago can i tell you if your friend had enough guts to invite you to church today or to send you this message online this is the moment that they've been praying for for you and i want to do this i want to give you an opportunity to respond not to our church definitely not to me but to respond to Jesus right now. Could you all just bow your heads, close your eyes? If you're watching online, can you do the same thing? If you're saying, James, that's me, I'm that first person, I've never done this before. Or you're saying, James, I'm that second person, I did this a long time ago, but I've walked away. I don't have a relationship with Jesus anymore. Maybe you experienced hurt and pain. Maybe you went the road of that little creature. That's okay, a lot of people do it. But today, God has given you a chance to reach out to him. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand nice and high because I want to pray for you right where you are today. If you're saying, James, that's me. I want a relationship with Jesus today. You lift your hands on the count of three. One, two, three. Right now, all over this room. Awesome. Hands here, hands here, hands here. Over in the back corner, hands here, hands over on the side. A ton of hands here. A few hands over here. Up in the back corner. Thank you, Jesus. Up in the back row, I see your hand. Up in the other corner, a few more hands. Oh, thank you, Lord. You're wonderful, Jesus wonderful Jesus. If you lifted your hand, thank you, madam. If you lifted your hand, I want you to put your hand on your heart right now if you lifted your hand. We're going to pray a simple prayer. And this prayer is not the ending. This prayer is the beginning of your relationship with Jesus. It's a simple prayer reflecting what I just shared before. We're all going to say it together. If you're watching or listening on podcasts, I want you to do the same thing as well. Let's all say this prayer together. But those people with their hand on your heart, I really want you to mean these words with everything you have. You say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today and I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe that you died on the cross, but you defeated the grave, that you rose victorious. You are the one and true Son of God. So right now I ask, please come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In your wonderful name I pray. Amen. Amen.